0: Hello, hello. This is Reality of Reality. I'm Aliza Rosen, a longtime TV and So, before producer I introduce my guest I executive, every week on the podcast that I I've talked watched, to interesting in the last people few weeks, in all and aspects of Scripted content. So, the first, I binged this weekend a show called Wall Street W A H L on HBO Max. It is a six part series about Mark Wahlberg's empire. He's got a bunch of different businesses, and it's kind of like a day in the life of him and all his different partners running their businesses. I really enjoyed it. I love that kind of stuff. So I was kind of in from the get-go, but uh, I found it really interesting and he's pretty compelling. The people around him are interesting. And I was glad to see that a woman was behind the camera because he likes to surround himself with a lot of men. I'll just say that. I really love the Billie Eilish documentary on Apple+. Plus. Wow. Wow. So RJ Cutler directed it. You know, he's a, one of the renowned directors of our time and documentary. And he's sort of known for kind of very fly on the wall, embedding with his subjects. And that's exactly what this is. It's extremely long. It took me a month to watch it. It's two and a half hours, but it's so well done. She's such a fascinating character, creative genius. I just fell in love with her and her family. And I found it wildly entertaining, interesting, and kind of poignant, also funny. I just, I can't recommend it enough. I really loved it. And last but not least, I am into, I'm three episodes into a binge of season two of Couples Therapy on Showtime. Uh, if you listen to this podcast, you know that I'm a huge fan of this show and season two just comes out of the gate swinging. Dare I say, I like it better than season one already. And The Therapist is just phenomenal. I just think it's such an incredible show. It's not for everyone, I get it, but I highly recommend it if you, uh, you like being a fly on the wall, watching other couples fight, <laughs> which can make you feel better about your own marriage. So I highly recommend it. So today on the podcast, I have a dynamic duo. Diana Von Mankowitz is an Emmy nominated producer and casting director. She's also the founder of Divergent Content. So soon after she founded that company, Ray Dodge, also an Emmy nominated executive producer and showrunner, came on board and became Diana's ipso facto partner. So the two of them and the goal at Divergent is to use the voices of people of color behind the camera to support, amplify, and elevate diverse stories and talent. So we get into Divergent. We talk about inclusivity and hiring in unscripted content, the history of racism in our industry, the importance of hiring Black producers for all kinds of shows, and what the Sharon Osborne firing says about where we are right now as a culture. Well, hello, Deanna and Ray. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Hello. Thank you for having us.
0: I'm so happy you're here. Um, I always start with how I know my guests. And although I'm just meeting both of you within the last five minutes, um, Deanna, you were recommended to me by the wonderful and talented Alex Baskin at Evolution. Um, After my last podcast that I did with him, we were just chit-chatting after and he mentioned you. And I said, I think she sounds like someone I should have on the podcast or... Either he said that or I said that, but we realized very quickly. I need to interview you, so you and I chatted on the phone, and you suggested you come on with Ray. And then, of course, I looked up Ray's credentials and was like, uh, obviously. So here we are. <laughs> now, I said, I said in the intro um, that you found a divergent content. Correct. Um, right. I, I don't. I, you know, I obviously read your bio on your website and everything, but I would love for you to talk about really what Divergent is, what made you create it, how Ray became involved. So let's just start there and then we can get yeah. into your careers. Yeah. A bit.
1: Let's, let's jump right in. So I found a Divergent content last July. I can't believe it's been so long, so many months already, but um, I have been a casting director and and producer in in entertainment, I want to say for the past 11 years and, you know, always in in the inscripted space, you know, worked on lots of different shows, you know, Love is Blind, Married at First Sight. I was a producer on House Hunters and uh, like many people, I kind of got the bug to finally just go out on my own and start something. And you know, after putting it aside and putting it aside uh, last year, as we all know, you know, COVID hit and it shut everything down. And shortly after COVID is when um, George Floyd happened and the movement that ensued after that. And it was after that George, you know, the George Floyd um, tragedy. um, And I started hearing within, you know, Hollywood, within entertainment, well, you know, we want to hire black and brown people, but we don't know where to find them. And something hearing that something just clicked in my brain. And it just it put me I was already in the works with, you know, um, with with uh, building divergent content, but something just snapped. And that was my call to action. It, it truly, truly was. And initially, I just started getting on the phone with um, different casting directors and producers that I either knew or had worked with over the years. And my whole thought process was, you know, again, listening to this, we want to hire them, but we don't know where to find them. My whole thought process was, well, let me just create this collective, you know, let me create this collective of professionals, you know, and, and initially my thought was because being a casting director was always my, you know, fallback, stock. And trade, what I love to do. So initially, you know, I was calling a bunch of different casting directors, casting producers, selling them on this whole concept. You know, I've just built this company. Let me create this collective of people. Um, so, you know, all these people who say you want to hire us, but you don't know where to find us. Let me create this group. So that way you can hire us and I'm going to farm out all this work to, to the people in this collective. I'm going to help solve your problem. That was, that was my initial intent. And, um, One thing led to the next, uh, the week that I was going to launch the company, I had a conversation with the old showrunner that I had worked with uh, on a Netflix project. She just happened to reach out to me the same week I was going to launch. And she said, hey, have you seen the trailer for the show? It's amazing. You need to check it out. Um, And then she asked me if I wanted to, you know, do a co-pro deal with her because she was, you know, at home during COVID working on projects development and she wanted to partner with me to cast these projects and I said, absolutely. The next day, her old agent reaches out to her, you know, about that Netflix trailer. And she pulls me into that conversation and says, hey, you need to meet Deanna. She's about to launch Divergent Content. I had a Zoom with that agent the very next day. I uh, The website wasn't even live yet, but I shared it with him just so he could see what I was doing. And I, you know, um, just kind of explained, you know, what, what it was all about, you know, what the call to action was, you know, black and brown people and, you know, just wanting to give everybody a, a platform and an opportunity to get work. And, he just he lost his mind. He was just like, wow, you know what what you're doing is innovative. And I just sat back and I thought "Well, innovative. All I do was bring together some, you know, my people, you know what I mean? But I guess, you know, from his perspective, it was, you know, something different because we all know there's a, a serious problem, you know, in this industry uh, with equity and inclusion and diversity. And so, um, next thing, you know, I'm, I'm on the phone with uh, a writer from deadline the next day, just talking about the company. And that very next day, which was Friday, July 24th, I had my first zoom with everybody in this collective. And, uh, that's when I officially launched. And as I get off the zoom with everyone, everybody's like, they're texting me saying, Hey, the deadline article, it it just dropped the deadline article. And I was expecting the article to drop the following week and the article drops and boom, there it is. You know, my, my phone's blowing up. LinkedIn is blowing up. Emails are are blowing up. And I get a message from Mr. Dutch here. He reaches out to me on LinkedIn and he says, "You know what? You don't know me, but um, let me introduce myself." And he just ran down his credits. And he said, "I just saw the deadline article for divergent content. I love everything about what you're doing. How can I help? Like, let's partner." And honestly, from that point on, Ray is like my second husband. <laughs> <laughs> he really is. Like, like he, we, we've just we've we've partnered. He's he's been my right hand through all of this. And I and I quickly realized that what I created goes far beyond just casting directors, right? I realized very quickly that, um, we need equity at all aspects in this business. So whether it's Ray's level as a showrunner, executive producer, whether it's a casting director, a casting producer, line producers, field producers, I realized really quickly that like, like this, this just, I, this needs to include more than just casting directors, which was my initial thought, you know, this needs to be much bigger and broader and, um, I don't know. Here we are sitting. What it's April, April third, and the group has you know I think over fifty people. I've got executive producers, I've got showrunners, I've got line producers, I've got uh, uh, storytellers. It's it's a really diverse group of people, and Ray has been with me every step of the way. We've had um, we've had a really great opportunity to to have some great some hard conversations. With um, with uh, with a lot of these production companies, with a lot of the networks, and just having the the tough conversations about race and meeting them where they are, just to really try and move the needle. So I'll, I'll let Ray jump in.
0: Yeah, I'm curious, uh, Ray, when when Diana talks about um, those hard conversations, what have some of those conversations been, or you know, the gist of them?
2: Well, interestingly enough. Um, the same day that the Deadline article dropped, I had just done an interview on a, on, um, a uh, online talk show who were asking questions about this very issue. And that producer then reached out to me and said that the Television Academy were asking their members to, you know, what should the call of action be? which made me think what should the call of action be and for me and for me it was or is to hire black men because the reason that the George Floyd's of the world exist is because the media has painted African-American men in a way that we aren't viewed as human we aren't viewed as individuals with families and goals to achieve and dreams to to go after we're not viewed that way so the reason that we could find ourselves with a white knee on our black neck is because the individual who's willing to do that doesn't see us as a human being and the way to change that is through the media i am i've spent the last 20 25 years working in unscripted television and i know that we control the narrative but the reality is, we aren't in the newsroom. We aren't in the newsroom. We aren't, you know, uh, behind the scenes of the talk show. We aren't in, or are, uh, you know, in the development arm of the network or the production company. We aren't there, and that means over the course of history, we have never told our own story. Somebody else has told it for us. So when it, the thought was, "What is the call to action?" the call to action was put African American men in particular in positions where our stories can be told from those who live it, know it, and we can give a better understanding of who we actually are versus who we have been portrayed to be. And so um, when I saw what Deanna was, well, my video that I submitted to the uh, Television Academy um, was used. And I started getting emails and text messages and you know, LinkedIn and so on and so forth. So to me, I didn't know if Deanna knew that when I read the article, but I knew that she was someone who was like-minded and was interested in doing the same thing that I was doing. The only difference was she's a woman, I'm a man. And though we are both African-American, our paths are very, very different. And I think that there's a belief that we are monolithic when the truth is we really, really aren't. That my path is not harder than hers and hers is not harder than mine, it's just different. And I think that if we're going to have this conversation, then it was necessary to have both sides represented, because she can't speak for men and I can't speak for women. And so that's, I believe, why our partnership happened so naturally, because we had the same intention, but we're coming at it from two different perspectives. Now, in terms of those difficult conversations, which was your actual question. they were what I've come to realize. Uh, I'm a straight shooter, and I call it what it is. And the whole idea of, you know, we don't know where the black people are—that was just bullshit to me. I'm sorry. Can we curse on this? I'm right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, that just that that just seems like a lame excuse because one of the first conversations that Dion and I had was with—I want to say we met with, with an agent first, or we met with an executive first, but it doesn't matter because. Um, both sides were blaming the other, you know? And, but what the agent said was that if any network or production company had said, we are looking for top African-American talent, agents would have bent over backwards to make that happen because that's how they make their money. So this whole thought that we don't know where they are, what the real answer was, you haven't looked for us. And now you need an excuse to justify not having individuals there. And so the other piece to that is, if we bring you in, then we have to discuss why you haven't been here. And we have to discuss your experiences on the, for the handful of you who are here and what that actually is. I mean, I think that Hollywood is a microcosm of the rest of the country. And if racism exists or since racism exists in the country and it is woven into the fabric of who we are, then it's also woven into the fabric of Hollywood. The problem is people are afraid to talk about it. They're so fearful of being fired and you know, the, the whole idea of cancel culture. But the only way you get fired is if your beliefs are fireable. <laughs> you know, um, some kind of way, you must have something in you that makes you go, that makes you afraid that you're going to say something that's going to make somebody think that you should be let go. And the argument is so I'm not going to touch it at all. I am instead going to say I just don't know where you are.
0: You know, just kind of bringing it together, Diana. You your impetus for starting the company well, it was obviously something you had brewing for a while. But obviously, when the George Floyd George Floyd murder happened, everything just went crazy. I mean, you know, in every part of the culture. And um, and I don't know if you guys uh, had a chance to listen or or, or knew that I did some black producer panels around that time. Um, It was one of the things that I, you know, we all, every white person was just examining themselves and like, you know, where am I culpable? What have I been doing? And and I realized even just on this podcast and, and I got to admit, Ray, it was very similar to what you're saying. You know, I was like, well, I don't know any more black producers. I always try to include them, but I don't know them. And lo and behold, when you start looking, guess what? There's a lot. Yeah, <laughs> so, I've been
2: here a long time. Right? I've never, I never, mean, never even here. knew you.
0: And then I look at your bio and like, how do I not know Ray? I mean, it's crazy. So there's so much work, and and you know, I've I've been doing trying to do my own work with it, and and also just trying to amplify those voices on the podcast because it's something that the industry listens to. And and I was very. Um, I was very happy that I had a lot of people reaching out to me after those, really just kind of CCing me, but reaching out to the producers who came on, like, we're here, like, we want to hire you and we want to hire your friends and everybody else. So we're paying attention finally, like we get it. And, and, you know, the fear is always when you're in a moment that that moment passes and it kind of just comes back. I mean, I remember my friend Tony was on, one of my panels and and it was when uh, it was when live PD was canceled and and she said, you know my, my fear is that in six months it's going to quietly come back and I could still ha- see it happening tomorrow. So I wonder now, kind of we're almost a year later, do you feel like the momentum that you had when your phone was ringing off the hook for both of you and you're getting those messages, do you feel like, the charge is the same and that people are still getting it, that like, this is not a moment. This is just going to be a continuum. That's right, that's a very long question.
2: (laughs) You know what? Here's my thought. I believe that when people started to unravel the real issue, they came to realize that this is about racism. This isn't about, by George, I didn't know where you were. This is about, you know, an and underlying belief that our stories could be told by someone other than us. It is an underlying belief that they already know what our stories are. And so that in and of itself has a level of racism baked in it. You then have to acknowledge that in order to do something about it. So I believe that it opened a lot of people's eyes but now they're stuck at the spot of, OK, how do I acknowledge my own culpability in this? And what does that say about me? And what will that say about my career? And will I get kicked out? Will I lose everything that I've, I've, I've worked for? Or, or whatever the fear is, that is exactly where they are. And I don't know how to get past that except to have the difficult conversations across the board. I mean, if you look at the situation with Sharon Osborne, for example, it's the perfect example. Because what Sharon did was she became defensive. And the moment you become defensive, what are you defending? And she became that, the victim. And yep. that's
1: what ends up happening.
2: Yep. What do you, you why are you defensive and now you're the victim? You go from being, you go from being the person who now is and she said in her you know Mia culpa or whatever that was that she that she tried to to write that she became afraid that people would think she was racist. Well, you don't become afraid of that unless you have some racism in you. That's my opinion, and because I know I'm not anti-Semitic, I know that I'm not. There's no question about it. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I've never wrapped my brain around why anybody would be. But if I did something or said something that someone found to be viewed or, or, or that a Jewish person felt was anti-Semitic, my response is, oh, my God, I'm sorry. You know, I had no idea. My response isn't, how dare you accuse me of being anti-Semitic?
0: Yeah. I'm curious. I actually have not talked about the Sharon Osborne thing with anyway. So you brought it up. I'm really curious because I have kind of my own thoughts about it. I, I completely agree with everything you're saying. Do you think she should have been fired?
2: I think she probably was going to be. And I think she quit before they allowed it.
0: I guess um, what right? I, yeah, but I guess what I'm getting at is like, I agree with, like, I feel like there's such an opportunity there. I mean, mm-hmm. the show was called The Talk. Mm-hmm. Like, goddamn, if you, like this, like, it is the perfect example, right? Because I feel like the growth that could happen and the conversations that could spin from that incident could do so much more to sit in it and live with it and deal with it than just cutting her out. Like to me, I just feel like that's kind of a missed opportunity. But but at the
1: same time, I feel like, had she not been defensive about it, you know, it's, it was her response. It was her, her reaction because had she not been defensive and said, okay, Just like you said, this is the talk. Let's have a conversation. Because from what I was reading, Elaine Welteroth, like they all wanted to to come back to the table and and really talk about it. But she was defensive. She was put off. I'm not a racist, whatever. So it it ended how it ended. I think had Sharon approached it from a different way, she probably like you're right. It could have been a great opportunity to address the issue in real time.
2: It would have been a great opportunity to address the opportunity uh, the, mm-hmm. to address the issue because what ends up happening is a wall is then put up. And now we stop talking about the issue at hand and start talking about why you're the victim. Why just the, because in my sense and I'm not speaking of Sharon particularly but I believe this generally that there are a lot of folks who want to have racist beliefs, want to engage in in, in racist rhetoric. They want to uh, discriminate at whim. They just don't want to be called a racist. And the moment that you call them that, now it's time to fight. And how do you? And and even if it's not even if you call, if you even imply, if you suggest that their behavior is is racist or is even in the neighborhood of it and they get defensive like that, you're not in the position to have a conversation. Now, I should also be clear. I am very good friends with with Holly Robinson-Pete and with Leah Remini, as you know, I worked with her. And um, I was around when they were on the show. And I'm not going to say anything about that other than every single thing that they're saying in public now, they said back in 2011 to me. So when I saw Holly in particular, I thought, I've been waiting for years for you to say this. You've been, you complained about this at the time. You didn't say anything. And I thought the same thing from Leah. You know, I thought, I've been waiting for you all to point this out. Um, but I think that what we're calling it cancel culture but what it is, is people aren't able to get away with what they used to. And the argument against it is now I'm being held accountable for what I could do three years ago. And and now that's wrong. No, what you were doing three years ago was wrong. And now you can't get away with it. That's really what is happening.
0: Perfectly said. I I, I You nailed it. You totally nailed it. Um I want to get back to Divergent and the mission, right? So um well I have a, I have a bunch of questions about it. So so first of all in terms of the mission and I know you like Ray you said you and Deanna are kind of coming from from different places which is great because you kind of both have you know different kinds of interests represented but when is it almost like a management agency in the sense like people are, cut? you know, like, how does it work? So like I'm straffing up a show and I want to hire black and brown producers. I call you and I'm like, who you got? And then like, do you make a commission or is it just sort of well, to help everybody? Like what, how does it work? It's, it's really funny
1: that you asked that question because I think from the onset, um, we've been getting a lot of that, you know, and even, um, uh, the agent that I made reference to that I had a conversation with, you know, uh, he's, I'm repped by him now. And he said from the beginning, you know, like you should be a management company, you know, like this, this makes sense, you know, like you've already created the infrastructure for it. Um, I guess in my mind, you know, as I was building this, this company, my, my head didn't even go there. You know, again, it was that call to action of, well, we want to hire black and brown people, but we don't know where to find you. So that, that was my response. Let's create this collective of, of people. And, you know, especially from a, a casting perspective, okay, now you hire me and I'm going to farm out all this work and I'm going to make your life a little easier because you say, you know, you, you, don't, you don't know where to find the diversity. Well, by hiring me and my company for a project, it's already built in that the staff is going to be people of color. Right. And I think what ended up happening after the launch and, you know, a lot of the conversations that Ray and I were having with the different production companies and networks, it, it just became a, a, a byproduct So I, I would begin to get, you know, inquiries, Hey, we're staffing up for a show. Who can you send us? Hey, we're doing this. We're doing that. And it just kind of naturally fell in line that way, because I think Ray and I, we both agreed, like, I don't want to manage anybody's career. I like, was I completely
2: want... against that, completely yeah. against that, because to me, it was an excuse. Now I don't have to do the work. I'll just call Deanna. Exactly. Oh, I, don't, I don't have to do the work. I don't i do not have to make it so that, you know, I'm changing how we're operating within this organization. We can just call Deanna and say we call Deanna and our work is done. And I was against that completely from the exactly. first day.
1: Exactly, and if we don't find them from Deanna, oh well, we tried. We gave it. We tried, yeah, exactly. No, and then we're going to go back to our old ways. So it just, it's, it's a great question, you know. Um, it, but it's, it's something that ended up happening without me even realizing that that was what was happening. And I, I I think we have done a good job of at least managing it because I do get a lot of phone calls and a lot of inquiries, you know, about staffing up. So. I'm happy to be able to, you know, send out the resumes, but we're still not there yet. You know, um, we're just not there.
0: (laughs) One of the, um, do you guys know who Miyoshi Hill is? She is, she used to uh, be in development at Lifetime and she just became the president of Sirens, which is one of ITV's big companies, Mm -hmm. um, So I interviewed her. I'm dropping this. uh, I'm dropping her podcast this coming week. And one of the things we talked about is a big job. It's a really big job with a big company within a bigger company. And um, she's an African-American woman. And, you know, her, her phone kind of blew up when it all happened. It was a major announcement. And one of the things we talked about was this idea that our industry has so much work to do in this area. And that until Black... People, men and women, are at the seat of the table, are in management and high up positions at networks and companies like that's where the real change is going to happen. So I wonder if you guys I mean, I think it's going to happen from all pockets, but I do believe these high leadership positions are going to be, in my opinion, where the most change happens, where you really see things reflected on screen and behind the camera in a bigger way.
2: I wonder how you guys feel about that. I say yes and no to that because yes, you need someone high enough up to veto when something is out of whack. You know, that, that of course is important. But I think it's being under the boat rowing that really, when you're getting your hands dirty into the storytelling, that's really where the rubber meets the road because it, in the writing, in the way it's presented, in the editing, in this story versus that story, that really is what's going to change the narrative. It is not just someone in a high-ranking position whose job it's not to eyeball what's going on on the air. So I think it's all-encompassing. I think it's up and down the ladder, and I think that I think that until that happens we find ourselves in the same boat. You know, it's it's not a okay, we got four or five presidents, so we're good. <laughs> you know, that's not that's not really what it is. And you know, so um I know that for many many years or many different shows that I was on or projects that I produced, I was the only African American man <laughs> So outside of my, and sometimes the only African-American. And so outside of whatever story I did, the story the show that I was on may have had some stories told from a perspective that was not accurate. And there was nobody there necessarily to catch it. So I think it really is up and down the ladder. And I'm not suggesting that it has to be all African-Americans, but we do need to be at the table but in every conference room, not just at the top, but when we're discussing the edits, when we're discussing the stories, all of it, so that we can um, contribute in a way that tells our stories the way that they should be told. And that is accurately. Additionally, though, and I don't mean to jump back to Sharon Osborne, but Sharon, one of the things that Deanna and I really uh, came to realize as we were having some of these more difficult conversations particularly with some of our colleagues and speaking to you know higher ups at, at production companies or networks or what have you is that it's it's more than just let me introduce you to some black folks it is the experience that the african-american person has in their newsroom and has in the development office and so on and so forth because what ends up happening is you find yourself in that situation where you're addressing an issue that's race related. And you are standing in front of your boss who who happens to be white. And you're trying to explain to him or her why it is necessary to approach this in a particular way. And they don't understand it, they don't get it. And the African-American is now being careful about what he or she says because they don't want to spark a Sharon Osborne type response. Because the difference between Sharon and the other ladies on that panel was that they were all equal. But if you're working for somebody, and that somebody is has that same Sharon type of mentality, where you're not quite sure if she's racist or not, but she's saying and doing things that certainly is in the neighborhood, and now you are responsible for doing whatever it is that you do and you're you're in that position of do i protect my job or do i stand up for myself and for for people who look like me that too is a major part of this process and so the reason that you need people up and down the ladder is because there needs to be some protection because those conversations are going to happen and some folks are going to respond like you did and and let me jump into i i
1: think another one of the issues that we've We've realized just in having these conversations, um, especially as it relates to you know being a de facto management company, um, you know is is one of the major issues. Is you know let's just just say this. All right, so there's a job up, right? Okay, somebody is looking for a showrunner or an EP or a co EP. And they've got to have, you know, I'm looking for somebody with, with follow doc experience, or, you know, they've had to have worked on a game show or a shiny floor show. Basically they want every single box checked, right? Every single box. And what ends up happening that's, that's frustrating is, you know, I'll send over, you know, options, you know, I'll, I'll send over a few people that, you know, this person has a strong resume. They've got ep credits they've got showrunner credits maybe they're missing a box you know and what ends up happening is they're 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 overlooked you know every single time they're overlooked well they didn't check this one specific box so we're gonna go back and hire jim because we know you know jim worked on the voice and we can count on jim well jamal never
2: gets or even not the voice but we can we just want jim
1: we, we just want jim you we know? know he so-
0: can we know jim can do
2: it
1: yeah, we know Jim can do it. You know, Jim's in my back pocket. You know, I need somebody. You know, quick, fast, in a hurry. So that that's part of the problem. And I've had this conversation with a couple of production companies. You know, just saying, look, I've I've sent you you I, I've sent you guys. You know, a fantastic list of people who are highly qualified, but. You don't call them. You don't pick up the phone because they're missing a check mark. You know, you're not willing to 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 give them a shot, and that's becoming a part of this bigger issue. You know, like nothing is ever going to move or change. You know, if you're if you're looking for every single box to be checked, you know, how is that person ever going to you know move up the ladder and 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 get the experience if no there's, one's going to? Another a way
2: to bring that point all the way home. I am an Emmy award winning showrunner. I have Oprah on my resume. I have Tyler Perry. I have all kinds of networks and so on and so forth. Divergent content has never been able to place me in a job. And I'm the right arm. That tells you the truth of what we're dealing with.
0: That's everything you need to know. But I'm really hoping after this podcast (laughs) drops, you're going (laughs) to, but I'm going to get my hands on you first, but we'll talk about that off mic. So, you know, I mentioned that I think it's important that we have black leadership and, and that's going to help shift things. But I also think I, I don't know about you guys, but one of the things for me is that I think it's excellent that we're hiring black producers for, quote unquote, black shows, because I think that that's really important. But I also think it's really important to hire black producers for every show. So how do we do that?
1: Well, it's it's funny that you bring this up because that this has come up in conversation. Uh Ray and I, we actually we we had a Zoom with a production company and I actually had to put it out there and say it, you know. Don't just call me, you know, to to staff up to to cast or whatever a black show, you know? Like I'm I, I'm more than capable and I've got the credits and I've got this dynamic group of people, you know, who've worked on everything so don't hire me just for a black show hire me for any show you know and 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 i think that's that 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 still is is a work in progress let me just say that it's a work in progress
2: yeah i believe that there's this thought that white producers can produce everybody but black producers can only produce for black people and that in and of itself is absurd I don't know that anybody's waking up in the morning with that thought, but that is what their actions are showing. And so the fact that we have to even bring that to people's attention uh, is sad, but it's necessary and a part of the larger conversation. I mean, if you think about it, the majority of my career as a man has been producing for women. And so, uh, but the difference was that there were women there who, if I, you know, My Y chromosome went too far to the left, you know, could pull me back and I'm not suggesting that that wouldn't be necessary, you know, under different circumstances in every circumstance. But um, this whole notion that, you know, the Asian people have to produce for Asian shows only and, you know, and so on and so forth. It's just just ridiculous. It's ridiculous.
0: I'm glad you brought that up because I do want to pivot a little bit um, to both of your careers. You have amazing resumes. Uh, I guess we will start with you because you brought up Oprah, my queen. Um, <laughs> I I never really even know how to frame my Oprah question because I get just like overwhelmed um, because I'm I'm I just get silly about her. But um, you worked for Oprah herself. You produced two of the most amazing episodes with Gail and Oprah's adventure, which I think that was multi-part. And then of course the Tyler Perry, um, the men who, who spoke out about abuse, which was one of the most incredible television shows I've ever seen. Um, Let's see. I have a million questions. How do I, how do I put the, okay, here's my question. Here's my Oprah (laughs) question. And, and, and I think I end up asking usually the same one. What's the top, Thing you took away from working with Oprah? Like, what's the best lesson? Because she's always giving lessons, right? But for you personally, what was it that stuck with you the most?
2: Produced from my heart. I love that. Yeah, it's... Um, when, you produce from, when you produce from your head, you only get folks who are as, as smart as you. So you're either producing over somebody's head or below somebody's intellect. But we're all the same coming from the heart. So... I make decisions based on my gut. I make decisions based on, you know, what I think people are going to feel as opposed to how they think. Because if you if you, if you you think about it, I mean, we all know we need to eat our vegetables, but we eat what we feel like eating, you know? Uh, so <laughs> the burger is what you crave, but the vegetables are what you know. You typically go for the burger, not for the vegetables. So the same thing is true with producing. And I think that her magic is that, She's always come from a place with intention and she's always come from a place that is trying to meet heart to heart, soul to soul, as opposed to human to human or brain to brain. you know. And so that is not just in talk. That is in everything that I've ever done since. And so I, I, I think that um, that I believe is the best lesson that I could have taken away from her.
0: And you also worked, like you said, on um, Leah Remini's show, um, yes. Scientology and the Aftermath. I know Leah's not Oprah, but what, you know, Leah's very, very impressive what Leah's done. What was your biggest takeaway from working on it?
2: Uh, for the, funny, the funny thing about Leah is Leah would always say to me, well, what, would you say that to Oprah? What would Oprah say? You know, um, that was, her, you know, you wouldn't say that to her, you know, but um, I was just really taken with how brave she is. And how determined she is. And, you know, Leah has the reputation in Hollywood of being tough, of being hard to to, to work with. What I was able to take away from was that she's grossly misunderstood, in that, and there are gonna be people who who are gonna have something to say about this, but Leah was seeking to save lives and to call out this cult that needed to be stopped. And everybody around her was producing television. And so the intention wasn't the same. And the interesting thing for me was in coming in that environment, I knew Oprah was very intentional. So it was very at home for me to my first questions to Leah, uh, she and and Chris, the other uh, person I worked with uh, when I first got there was you tell us what it is you're trying to do. You tell us, you know, and then we'll turn it into TV. Um, But it wasn't, uh, here's what we think the TV should be with your story. And I think that that allowed us to go in places that we otherwise wouldn't have been able to go because I certainly, I mean, the other piece to it that I thought was really interesting is that I'm a preacher's kid, I was raised Baptist, raised Christian. And I couldn't imagine what it would be like to, suddenly take my entire belief system and not have it anymore and just say, I'm going to make decisions based on what, you know, on how, on who, I don't know that anybody really acknowledged how hard that is to unlearn what you learn and to discover, okay, what I've been taught isn't real. And now I don't know what to believe, you know, I mean, that's hard. And so I understood that from the beginning and I feel that uh, I mean I learned this from Marianne Williamson, which I was reading at the time, A uh, Return to Love, when I was um, doing that show, and it is people operate not from their uh, not from people operate not from their flaws. They operate from their wounds. And what I understood about Leah and what I understood about Mike, her partner, what I understood about the various people we were talking to was that they were wounded. And much of what they were doing and much of what they were saying was out of being wounded. And so when you understand it from that perspective, your natural instinct, you automatically go from judgment to empathy. And that's from the place that I produced that show.
0: I love that. Taking a, 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 a Deanna, you come from obviously uh, a different background, really interesting and and unique in, in our business, which is, you come from the fashion world. So how does one how does one do that hard left from fashion to TV to casting? To- um,
1: it's so funny. I, I spent well over a decade in New York City. Uh, I was a buyer for Bloomingdale's. I was a merchandiser, product developer. Uh, I used to run you know multi-million dollar brands and just like many others, I just got burnt out. you know, I really got burnt out. Literally my life back when I lived in New York, you know, living the, the black sex in the city kind of, uh, persona. Um, I, uh, I think it was around 2008, like when the crash kind of came upon us and I just, I I got burnt out. I was just tired of it. And literally my life was, is it was like pulled out of the devil wears product that, that was literally like my day to day. Um, And similar to television, you know, back then I didn't see many people who looked like me, you know, at at higher levels. Um, God, the stories I could tell you uh, when it relates to that, but basically I got burnt out. Um, I reconnected with an old friend from college back when I was still in New York who happened to work in television. And, Um, I think back then she was directing some things for the Food Network and she says, why don't you just come on set and see, see what you think. I went on set and I was like, huh, I kind of like this, you know, I'm not looking at my watch and you know, the time is passing and I'm doing different things. That led to me making my way out to LA about 11 years ago. And it's kind of funny because when I first got to LA, I was actually doing things in front of the camera because I was using my fashion background as, you know, a fashion expert. Um, that got old really fast. And because uh, that's a hustle and a grind like you would not believe. And I, I literally fell into to being a casting director just by chance. I was helping a friend out with something. And I realized getting into this world, like I just had this love of, of storytelling. And I realized just even through my job in fashion, I've always been a producer at heart. You know, I'm the kind of person when I plan my vacation, I've got a color coded Excel chart, like mapping out every single beat, you know, of the vacation, That's
2: really sad, but, okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but it just feels so gratifying to do it. You know, um, excuse my dog barking in the background, but, um, Yeah, I I fell into this world and I just I loved it. You know, I I, I've done a lot of casting for commercial, you know, and it's all been in the unscripted space, commercial television. And it's just there's something about that, that interview, you know, talking to people and getting to know people and just listening and not waiting, you know, listening to what people are saying and not waiting just to ask your next question. I think that's something I learned from Miss Oprah. But um, I don't know. There's just something that I fell in love with the idea when people realize that there's something special about them. You know, like I, I always ask a couple questions just to loosen people up. You know, give me a fun fact about yourself. What's something that would surprise most people to know about you? And and I sit and I listen to people. Oh, there's nothing interesting about me. Oh, but the minute I help them through that, it, it's just I can't even describe it. But it's just something just clicks when people realize, huh? I am pretty special. There is something great about me. There is something different about me. Um, And I just I fell in love with it, you know, and it's just kind of kept me going. It really has.
0: And you worked on one of the big quarantine, early quarantine hits, Love is Blind. I mean, we were obsessed. I have embarrassingly revealed on this podcast that I woke up at 5 a.m. to watch the reunion. (laughs) So that's my my shameful truth. I uh, loved that show.
1: I, uh, I have to say I'm quite I'm
0: responsible for a, a few unions. I'm responsible. Can you, yes, please brag on who and on, on which hear. ones.
1: So Amber, uh, Amber Pike, I found her from Love is Blind, and I believe she's still happily married. I think that's the case. Uh, I've worked on several seasons of Married at First Sight, um, responsible for a couple marriages on that show. Um Let's see here, Jamie. I didn't even know
2: that. One of my good friends is the EP there. But
1: yeah, yeah. Um, so you could I don't know. I just, just the, the bug hit me. And the funny part is when I first moved to LA as, as a way to kind of get to learn the city and get to know people, I actually started a blog a long time ago called Deanna Dates the City. And I would I would write, I would read these relationship books and I would go out on these dates because I was like online dating at the time and I would just write about my dating exploits and it got to be really like, I I had a nice little following. And I actually, at one point I had a book publisher reach out to me saying, this is really great material. You know, you should think about writing a book. And at the time in my life, I'm like, wow, I've just had somebody tell me that I'm good at being single. Like not what I wanted. Um, So uh, that that kind of just, you know, I don't know. The the writing bug hit me. All these things kind of hit me um, just coming to L.A. And it's just stuck. Uh, and I love it. So
0: that's great. So we're going to wrap up. But I do want to know from both of you. Um, I mean, you mentioned earlier you have 50 people strong and divergent. I'm assuming you're still growing it. What are both of your sort of individual and collective goals for Divergent in the next year to going forward? Like, what would you really like to see happen?
1: Um, I think we've, we've started a series of conversations about race, you know, so what we've done, uh, we've brought together a lot of the people within the group because now that Ray and I, you know, we're, we're on the front line, right. You know, we, we've got, um, Direct access, you know, to these different executives, to the production companies, you know. Um, So we wanted to create a space where people in the group could really, honestly come to the table and share their experiences, their feelings. So we can kind of take that back and communicate that. And we started doing that. What, like, I want to say in December, right? Last year end of last year. And we want to continue these conversations. And the grand plan is to, you know, somehow share, you know, the, the, these stories and share what people are feeling to a bigger audience. And it's interesting too, Eliza, just even, you know, us being connected through Alex um, before we even spoke, Ray and I had talked about, hmm, maybe we should do a podcast. You know, maybe there's a yeah. way to reach a bigger you know, audience and just to really have some conversations about this and really have people be able to talk about how they feel, whether they want to, you know, be anonymous or not, but really talk about it and being able to share this with, you know, our partners and and really make some change. I think uh, a few other things that uh, Ray and I've worked on, we've partnered with um, staffmeup.com. We've had um, a few different, um, what do you want to call it? Uh, uh, basically staff me up. They partner with lots of different diversity organizations like Divergent Content. And uh, what we've done, we've had like a, a meet and greet. So they'll have an executive, they'll come to the group, you know, so people can do a Q&A. We've had something like that. We'd like to continue that. Um, I'm also partnered with CSA. Uh, in fact, I just did, uh, I participated in um, another Podcast type event with with CSA uh, a couple of weeks ago. They're doing an, inter, uh, an intern a mentorship um, program with an HBCU. That's something else that I would love to for us to kind of get into is the mentorship arm of of the company. Um, what else? What else? Well, I mean, I think that
2: most importantly, it's these com- it's having these conversations. I mean, I think that that really is at the the is the foundation for everything else. I think that as long as people are able to hide behind the idea of, I don't know what you are without someone following up with, yeah, but did you look for me? Um, Allow the situation to remain as is. And so I think that, but at the same time, you know, we, you know, as, as Deanna said, you know, we like to meet people where they are. And so we don't necessarily want it to, be that we don't acknowledge that it's a difficult conversation for them too, that it's a difficult situation for them too, um, but difficult or not, it's what needs to happen. And I firmly believe that the only way to move the needle is to acknowledge that this is what it is. It is what it is, call it what it is, and then move from there. But as long as we are claiming it's something it's not. Then we aren't able to resolve anything. And you're offending me at the same time because you're playing with my intelligence. I mean, I was saying to Deanna, I wanted to get a bunch of billboards with a bunch of African American, or at least people of color who are in the industry that with a sign that says, here we are, now what? You know, because, you know, we've been here this whole time. And so this whole notion that we got to train people or that, you know, we got to get them, we got to start them in the pipeline from college, I think that's a good idea. But there are a whole lot of folks with a whole lot of experience that are passed over. And um, while I understand having sat in the showrunner chair that when you need somebody, you need somebody, you yell out the door, who do you know who's blah, 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 you know, whoever they know is who they call. I certainly understand that. But at the same time, there has to be some movement on getting folks in. Uh, so that the person that at least that you're yelling at out the door has people who look differently than
0: it's a big goal. Agree. And Deanna it's, to your point also earlier, and I see this a lot in the Women in Reality Facebook group, that you know, our industry also has to start giving people chances. Like just yes. because if you're a producer, you're a producer. I mean yeah. You can work if you're, exactly, you should be able to work on everything. Just like network execs hop from history to lifetime. Those are two completely different networks. If you're good, you're good. So give people a chance. It has paid off for me so many times hiring people I've taken a chance on. And I've been nervous. I mean, we all are, right? You want to hire, it's easier. It's easier to stay in the wheelhouse and, Right. They've done true crime a million times. Well, good. They'll do it again. Instead of going, hey, I know you do housewife shows, but like, do you want to do true crime? You know, because you know how to tell a story. So I just want to say across the board, that's a big problem in our industry that I hope changes. So yeah. so I would love to uh, tell everybody where they can find you and follow you on the socials. So they know, and I'll put it in the show notes as well.
1: Oh, the socials. The socials. Amazing. It's amazing. You got to get
0: someone on the socials.
1: I know. Well, you can find divergent content on Instagram at divergent.content. Uh we're on LinkedIn, we're on Twitter. Um and we we're at divergentcontent.com, you know, again, we're, you know, slowly growing this collective of of black and brown voices in the industry and uh I'll I'll let Ray finish on where to find him.
2: Uh I am Ray Dodge on LinkedIn. That's D O T C H like Scotch with a D. I am Ray Dodge. I think the second on Facebook. I should look at that. I should have looked at that before I came on here. And I am the only Ray that matters on Instagram.
0: Wait, that's literally it. what it is.
2: That is what it is. Oh, it's that's the, all, that I think
0: I actually follow you and I remember right? like that's amazing. <laughs> that is so good. Yeah.
1: And I'll just do a little plug because I know you spoke yes. with Alex over at Evolution, but uh, Divergent Content will be working on a a, a very big to-be-announced show on a very big streaming platform. You so still
2: we're can't here. announce it? Huh? You still can't announce it?
1: Not yet, no. Oh, okay. No, so... That's that's to come, but that's uh, exciting.
0: That's exciting. Yeah, that,
1: that is exciting. Um, just lot lots of projects in the works. Um, you know, finishing up some great things now for a couple of networks that we're all familiar with. So yeah, things are things are moving along. Yeah. Yes, and
2: I am currently on Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. Don't ask me. Okay, so yeah. for uh, all,
0: <laughs> let the record reflect to all my housewives fans out there that sometimes mm-hmm. listen. There's a lot of crossover. I grilled him. I tried. He told me nothing. I got no dirt. Nothing. I said, I
2: am not at liberty to say. <laughs> <Yeah. Right>? he, <laughs> he
0: pled the fifth and I'm not happy about it. Not even just on <laughs> mic, but off mic. So I got nothing. I got nothing. I
2: also uh, just, uh, well, I'm actually out selling projects as well. Um, my other passion is, is getting projects sold. And so um, I'm in the throes of.
1: Ray is an idea king. Like the things, the development projects in his head are nothing short of just phenomenal like he's got so much good stuff coming just y'all wait and see
0: oh i i'm waiting trust me and i'm yeah, we're yeah gonna, me
2: too thank yeah. you <laughs> yeah
0: let's let's hurry this I up waiting for this
2: stuff to sell <laughs> yeah I it's it's gonna going to be your enjoy. year
0: it's going to be 2021 yes. is everyone's year we've had a we've had a, a rough 2020 so all good things thank you both it was so wonderful to meet you both and talk with you i really appreciate it
2: yeah thank you for having
0: us
1: yeah, thank you. And and hopefully we can reconnect once we have a our own podcast to launch, a platform
0: that. of our own. I a love this idea our- and I'm ha- I'll help you any way I can. Thank you again. I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank
1: you.